Today I'll be reading from John chapter 5, verse 2 through 11. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, and he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. Good morning, church. How are you guys? Good, good, good. Audrey Robertson, stand up. Oh, you're like, why does my uncle have to be preaching today? If you guys don't know, the Tyvee girls basketball team made it to the state tournament. That's a very big deal. That is something to clap for, but way more important than that, I want you all to know that your sister in Christ, as I watched her throughout the whole year, win a lot, lose a couple. We should be very proud of the way you played basketball on the court, but way more important how you conducted yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. I can never be proud of that. Yes. All right. Awesome. And I look forward to next year. Have a seat. Now let's make fun of your dad. If you'll notice, Doug Robertson and Clay Robertson aren't here. I guess they've come to realize when little brother gets to speak, one of them is going to be targeted. Today, it is my oldest brother. Now, I love a good underdog story. Miracle on Ice, 1980, David and Goliath, Rocky, and perhaps the biggest underdog story of all time was the Jamaican Open of 1997. March of 1997, to be exact, 21 years ago this very month. The Jamaican Open was a golf tournament. And in the era of Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, on the back end, very few people remember the Jamaican Open between Dickie Robertson, Clay Robertson, Doug Robertson, and Troy Robertson. In Bluefields Bay, Jamaica. Now, it got off to a horrible start for Troy Robertson. As they arrived to play their 18 holes, he found out there was no golf carts. There were caddies. Someone said to me, well, Troy, they're going to carry your bags. And I said, well, who's going to carry me? I don't play golf for aerobic activity. I do it for the fun. So it didn't start off well. But then I'm thinking, all right, well, I'm a gregarious guy, and I'm going to have a caddy with me, and, and this will be fun. I'll make good friends. My caddy did not like to talk at all. 
I like to talk. Matter of fact, I've been accused of being a Skittles and Rainbow guy. That everything's Skittles and Rainbow. The person that said that doesn't know me very well. Skittles is a horrible candy. I'm an M&M's guy. My guy was horrible. And as much as I tried to talk to him, maybe even to minister to him a little bit, he refused to speak back. And then as you do in a foreign country, you think if you speak louder with their accent, they'll understand. He did not. All he did was nod and point through 16 holes of golf. This club, he... This club... Hit it here, hit it there. So somehow, some way, and I don't know what it was, but I come to the 17th hole tied with Clay Robertson, someone I had never, ever, ever beaten in golf. I'd beaten my dad a couple of times. I'd beaten Doug a couple of times. I had never beaten Clay. You guys that know Clay know he's a pretty good golfer. But somehow, I was tied on hole 17. And I'll never forget it. Good drive, second shot. And the green's in front of me. There's water in front of the green, and it's about a 165-yard shot. That's my 8-iron. That's my shot. My mind told me that's what I've been conditioned from a little boy when I'd walk from Murda Street to Scott Schreiner Golf Course and play golf for $1.50. $1.50. I could always hit a really good 8-iron. And my mind told me, you got this, you got this eight iron, it's over water, and, but there's a green, and, and it's just, this is a great shot. So I reach for my eight iron, and my caddy's like, and I'm like, no, this is my shot. I go, I can make that shot. He's like, and I go, dude, you're going to have to talk to me, all right? This is my chance to beat my brother. And he leans in real closely and says, you are not a very good golfer. And he points to something about 100 yards away. There, that's where you want to hit it. And I had a colossal moment in my life to make a choice of mind over heart. Am I going to do what I was trained to do my whole life, follow my pattern, my habits, or am I going to listen to someone who really is the expert of the golf course? Who knows how many years he had caddied? And thank goodness, heart won. I hit my little 100-yard shot. I'm sure my brothers made massive fun of me. They tried to make it on the green, and as you got up there, you saw it had a really bad false front. You golfers know what that is. And both of their balls hit, rolled back into the water. And there I am, and I beat Clay Robertson. <laughs> yes, clap! In the next 21 years, I have not beaten him again. But I beat him that day, and it was heart over mind. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for laughter. We thank you for a great day. Father, we thank you for the joy of being here, Father. If we are healthy enough to attend this morning, we have something to be joyful about. Father, I love it when, when Jimmy is up here and, and he prays for other churches in town. And Father, I, I, I just cannot wait for the day when we are all celebrating and worshiping and dancing together in heaven. But, Father, for this morning, I want to pray for this church. I want to pray for the elders and their unbelievable burden, responsibility, and honor to lead. I want to pray for the deacons as they do the work that, that many times goes unrecognized but is so important. And for the staff, Father, how they tirelessly give. 
So thank you for this church, Father, the words that you have put on my heart to share. Lord, I pray that I will do so in a way that's bold, in a way that's clear. And Father, as we leave this place, we will take your scripture and apply it into our community. In Christ's holy name, amen. So we have this scripture in John chapter 5, and I want to go through it again, and I want to, I want to throw out some general nuggets, and then we'll go back and look at two specific items. So to start with, chapter 5, we see that the pool is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now, why is that important? I did some research, and did you know, hey, did you know that you can like look up stuff on your phone and then take a picture of it and save it? Who knew that? Golly. That's amazing. I'm serious. That's unreal. I just learned that last night that you can do that. Okay? Okay. Listen to this. This is important. When Jesus heals the paralytic in the Gospel of John, the Bethesda pool is described as having five colonnades, a puzzling feature suggesting an unusual five-sided pool, which most scholars throughout history dismissed as an unhistorical truth. Yet when this site was evacuated in the late 19th century, it revealed a rectangular pool with two basins surrounded by a wall, thus a five-sided pool, and each side had its own column. Isn't that awesome? That's free. I'm just going to give that to you all free. Read your Bible. It's the truth, okay? So you have this five-sided pool. Next thing I want to point out is when Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. After get up, there is something there. It is an exclamation point. Why do we use exclamation points? What are some of the reasons? We do it when we're what? Angry, right? Y'all with me? Clean your room. So was Jesus angry at him? I don't think so. I don't think so. We use it when we're excited sometimes, right? We use it when we're happy at a football game, right? Touchdown! Exclamation point. So was Jesus excited about seeing this man who had been a paralytic for so, so long? No, I don't, I don't think so. Was Jesus angry that, that he had been a paralytic? for? Why would there be an exclamation point there? And I've got to believe with all my heart that what we know from Scripture is when Jesus encountered someone like this, whether they were blind or deaf or someone that had been in sin and swallowed up for so many years, that the idea of them being free, he could not control his passion for that. 38 years of not being able to walk. And Jesus knew that that day that man was going to do what? He was going to be freed and he was going to walk. And don't let this be a stained glass Jesus where it goes over your head where Jesus is like, get up and walk. This was real. Real people, a real person, 38 years as an invalid, and Christ came and freed him from that. And then the last thing before we narrow it down even further. I love when the Pharisees say to the man, hey, you're carrying your mat. That's against the rules. Who told you to do that? What was his response? And he didn't know it was Jesus yet. He goes, the dude who healed me told me to walk. 
So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what he says. Can you imagine 38 years of not walking and then that day you're healed? You think you would feel kind of strongly about the person that healed you? Y'all with me? You following? You remember on the playground growing up? You remember you, you could say whatever you wanted to someone? You could be in a fight with someone and, and you could be mean and you could say something about brothers or sisters or, or dads. But then there was one thing that trumped that led to fists being thrown and it was what? Yo mama. You remember that? Right? You didn't even say it correctly. You didn't say your mother. It was your mama. And that trumped everything. And so this guy, he didn't care. He didn't care that he was violating the Sabbath at this point. Why? Because he was free. He was walking when from 38 years he was held as a captive. Okay, so let's focus on two big things. Let's focus on the man and let's focus on the Pharisees. And let's look at this as an old way mind versus a new way heart. And let's start with the Pharisees. So, he violated a Sabbath law. There were 39 prohibitions on the Sabbath. 39 of the Shabbat. Here's what they were. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, cooking. Some of you moms are like, mm-hmm. Shearing wool, washing wool, laundering, beating wool, dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing stitches, tearing, trapping, slaughtering, flaying, tanning, scraping hide, marking hides, cutting hides, writing two or more letters. Look at Audrey, shake her See, no homework on Sunday, I've been telling my parents that. Erasing two or more letters. These are all things you could not do on the Sabbath. Building, demolishing, extinguishing a fire. Okay, this was interesting to me. I read a lot about this. You, if, it, if someone's life was in danger, yes. But if your property was being destroyed, uh-uh. You just had to let it burn. Okay? Kindling a fire, putting the finishing touch on an object, and the last one, which is what he violated transporting an object between a private domain and a public domain. And the object was his what? His mat. So we had 39 prohibitions. He violated that one. Now, if you're thinking right now, well, well what's the big deal? What are they going to do? Slap him on the hand? Okay. Let me read to you from Numbers chapter 15 verses 32 through 36. Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Gathering sticks on the Sabbath. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. This ain't no quilting bee. It's a very big deal to violate the Sabbath. And if right now you're thinking, now wait a minute, so the Lord says put him to death for gathering sticks, but yet this guy violated the Sabbath 
but jesus says basically it's okay why troy that's a complex theological deep question and my answer is jimmy will be back next week <laughs> that's a tough one right now I will give it a shot. I, I am a history buff. I love history. I, I grab anything that has to do with the Revolutionary War. I think it's an amazing time period, and I love George Washington. Um, my, my favorite painting is one where he's praying at Valley Forge. But let me tell you something. If you know anything about George Washington, he was not a, um, a kind soul as he ran his army, especially to start with. Um, there are stories where, where men would do minor infractions and their punishment would be greatly severe. And the reason why is uh, General Washington knew that, that if you didn't set that structure from the start, the whole thing would have just fallen away. He would have lost the war. So I do look at this and think that during that time when the Israelites were in the desert, God was conditioning and showing them some of the things they had to be very staunch about so they could make it through as a people. Does that make sense? You can disagree with me, that's cool, I'm all right with that, but that's what I get from that. But my point is, still holds true, it was a big deal to violate the Sabbath, okay? Big deal to violate the Sabbath. And I want to say one other thing about the Sabbath. I do believe that we have taken it too far the other way, and, and currently that Sabbath is not really a day of rest, or at least me and my family, sometimes I have to watch that. Although we don't do the, the 39 rules except for the cooking one god ordained that everyone go to mama Cita's after church so you don't have to cook i do think we've taken it a little too far the other way just something to think about right where, where we haven't really respected the sabbath kept it holy made it a day of, of true rest for for our bodies for our minds so please don't think i'm dogging the sabbath i'm just telling you there were 39 very intense rules and, and jesus made it very clear it's not about what, it's about your intent and motivation how. Okay, so they had theirs. And if you're thinking, well, those 39 are silly, church, can, can, I, can I very respectfully challenge you as I challenge myself that, that maybe we have our own little rules for today, right? Rules that we look at to say, well, you know, you really need to do these things if you really want to be a good Christian. Um, the same way you needed to obey those 39s. Things like, like um, you know, we, we judge people on how they worship. We judge on style of worship. We judge on dress code. We judge on if you're involved with a certain political party or not. We judge on tattoos, nose rings. We judge on Christian lingo, language used, who came on Wednesday night. Those are the real Christians. We judge on tithing. We judge on who volunteers and teaches. We judge on who smokes and doesn't smoke. We even get to the point of, of who took too long during their communion thoughts. We have our rules, don't we? We have our little Shabbat rules. And everyone knows that the real Christian is the one who can come on adult game night, sing a little Bon Jovi, and drop the mic. <laughs> but we have ours. We have our rules. And some of those things, once again, let me make myself extremely clear. Some of those things I just mentioned, of course, are good things. Is it good that you are here this morning? Yes. Is it good that you tithe? Yes. The elders are like, yes. Okay? Of course that is. Of course that is. Now, some of those I read, i got to be honest with you, they don't matter. Just think about that. They do not matter at all. 
But of course some of those things are important. But, but what Jesus says later in the scripture is when the Pharisees attack him, he says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Even on the Sabbath, I'm working. And let me just once again respectfully challenge you that, that perhaps Christ is more interested in your heart instead of your mind. Perhaps Christ is more interested at the intent, the motivation, the why, not the what. He wants us to be about our Father's business. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Is it good that, that they were so into tithing that they took it all the way down to their spices? I mean, they were so adamant about it, even we're going to give a tenth of our spices. That's awesome. But not when you neglect justice, mercy, and faithfulness. I think that sometimes today, in 2018, we have lost a little bit of what our Father's business is truly about. You see, the fruits of the Spirit are not church attendance, tithing, dress code, etc. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things are our Father's business. Let me add some. Our Father's business is not a spirit of complacency. I want to speak to the older crowd right now. We need you. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your mentorship. We need you to teach generations that are coming after you. You cannot say now, I have run my race, it's over. You get to do that when you go to heaven. You cannot say, I've paid my dues. I've taught in children's church. Did that for a long, I'm not doing that anymore. You can't do that. And really, I'm giving you a huge compliment. We need you. I pray that you're content in your life right now. I pray that you work so hard you're enjoying your retirement. I really, really do. But retirement out there is not the same as retirement in here. You can't retire from in here. We need you. Our Father's business is not having a spirit of complacency or a spirit of unforgiveness or a spirit of fear. Aren't you tired of being scared? I am. I, I don't go around licking doorknobs to catch the flu, okay? I, I, I get that, and I don't want, I get that. But if I hear or read one more story about how we're all going to perish from the flu, I might become Charles Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie. I'm telling you. Right? Are y'all? Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't y'all sense that in our country a little bit? Maybe I'm the only one that we're fearful of so much now. We just live in fear. Protect, of course. Y'all know I have seven kids. You think I don't want to protect my children? Of course I want to protect my children. But I'm not going to wake up every morning fearful of their demise. 
Satan wins. If we wake up every morning in fear, we waste the God-given day given to us. That's not our Father's business. I see in us a culture of blame now, where as soon as a tragedy happens in this country, it takes how long before we start casting blame one way or the other? That is not our Father's business. We seem to be in a culture of anger right now. Those are the things that matter. Those are the heart issues. Perhaps, just perhaps, Christ is more interested about what we do on Sundays when we leave this place than what we do while we're in this place. Perhaps Christ is more interested about how we treat the waiter and waitress at lunch than how we treat each other in here. Because for the most part, we're all kind and nice to each other in here. Look at us. But what are you going to do when you leave this place? That is your father's business. I have personally, and I've lived it, I have seen people do the first without the second. Right? You see those people that, that come to church every time the doors open. They tithe. They teach. That's awesome. But their life on the other parts, the father's business, is lacking. What I haven't seen it is vice versa. I have not seen someone who is a Christ follower, who is gentle and kind and joyful and doesn't live in a spirit of complacency or fear, not be an active churchgoer. Do you see what I'm saying? You can be both of those, but on the other side, you can just be one of the two. We are challenged to be both. There's a lot of people that I thought of when, 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 I, when I came up with this, and I was like, who, you know, who emulates some of this stuff? And, and, and although the, perfect, the person uh, is far from perfect, he'll tell you that, and, and even though the, the person's probably going to kill me and didn't pay me, but, but I, I'm sorry, Randy Rose. If you guys know Randy, I heard it, yeah. Randy is one of those guys that has made a huge impact on my life from when we moved back from New Zealand 10 years ago. He is generous, and he is kind, and he is humble. He's a man of integrity. And, oh, by the way, he's here this morning in church, right? He is an active churchgoer. But Randy is all those other things because he's about his father's business. Okay, so... Right now, you have a choice. You have your eight iron out, and you can either go by your mind, or we can go by our hearts a little bit. So right now, you have a choice. Either A, you can think, oh my gosh, I can't wait for Jimmy to come back. And that's okay. Or B, you can think, you know what? There could be a little something with what Troy's saying here. Maybe I do need to work on a little bit of a complacency issue. Maybe I do need to work on my gentleness Maybe I do need to work on being a little more joyful. And if you're at that point, and your question now is, all right, big boy, tell us, tell us how. How do we do that? So I want to start on the how portion. You guys have the video queued up? Okay. Hold on. Don't play it yet. We're, we're going to watch a video. And, and what I'm going to ask you to do when you watch this video, real quick, it's three and a half minutes, I want you to look at the faces. Okay? Look at the faces. And for you people in the audience that have already made that awesome choice to follow your heart over your mind and give your life to Christ, I want you to think back of the day you did that. And then we'll talk about it afterwards. Go right ahead. 
first of all huge thank you to people of this church that has made such an amazing impact to the moms and kids on the medina campus and that video is amazing because it shows we're part of a larger family uh, many of those occur at highland oaks church in dallas where our bowls campus attends singing oaks church in denton uh, where we have some uh, amazing moms and their kids and then our family outreach centers in Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas. And really isn't that the how church? We go to the man and he was so focused on the water, right? Because the first person in the water got healed according to tradition. The water was stirred. If you could get in first, you had a shot to be healed. Well, if you're a paralytic, it doesn't take a whole lot of analysis to realize he could never get in. Hence why he said, no one will get me in the water. But his focus was on the wrong thing. Because his freedom was actually standing right in front of him. His freedom was Christ. He couldn't buy it. He couldn't earn it. He had to choose it. And it was right there in front of him. And so if you are here this morning, and you are already a Christ follower, and, and maybe you've realized, you know, I'm really struggling with some of those things that are truly my father's business. Those things we talked about, those, those heart issues. You're here this morning, and that's great, but, but the intent, the motivation, the struggling. I encourage you to remember and to look back at what freed you in the first place. For me personally, I, I have great friends. I'm very blessed with great friends. I, I talked about Randy earlier, but my friends don't free me. Y'all know that I'm madly in love with my wife. She is unbelievable. And God has blessed us with seven children, but they don't, they don't free me. Even Arms of Hope, which obviously is something that is near and dear to my heart. When I've turned towards it instead of Christ, it doesn't free me. So I encourage you, if you're in the crowd and, and you want to be freed of some things that, that maybe through this scripture you've realized, I really need to do a better job of that. I pray that you will turn towards the person that can free you. Look no further than the man that couldn't walk for 38 years. And if you're in the crowd and, and you're not a Christ follower yet, all, all I ask you to do is, is, is take, a, take a little while to evaluate and think. The reason I asked you to look at those faces, the one thing that you see on all those faces is a huge what? Smile. You can literally see in a baptism burdens being lifted. It is so tangible you can, you can cut it with a knife. It is unbelievable. Camp in the summer through when someone up here threw a horse trough during VBS, which was awesome. You just see this smile and you literally see burdens being lifted. So don't take my word for it. All I ask you to do if you're not a Christ follower, tonight when you lay your head on the pillow, evaluate. When you've looked to other things for that freedom, maybe in an addiction, maybe a relationship, maybe monetary issues. If you've, when you've looked at those things, have they truly freed you? And if they haven't, I pray that you will you'll have a conversation. You'll have a conversation with God and you'll have a conversation with people that have taken that step to freedom. Thank you, Lord, for this scripture.
Thank you, Lord, for scripture that we can dissect and look at and realize there is meat there for all of us. Amen? There's meat for me. There's some areas, church, where I need to improve on. Sometimes I am not about my father's business in certain areas, but boy, I sure want to be. How about you? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this scripture. Thank you for healing the paralytic and for his response. Thank you for teaching the Pharisees, Father. Thank you for the Sabbath. Oh, the Sabbath is amazing. And Father, we want to respect the Sabbath, no doubt. But Father, we want to make a choice today to to make this a heart matter and to realize it's about why we do certain things, Not, not always just about what we do, but why we do them and to have the right motivation Father, there's never a time to be judgmental. There's never a time to be critical. There's a time to teach, and there's a time to admonish, but never a time to be critical and judgmental. Father, we know that. So, Lord, in areas of our life, um, if we have already turned towards you to be a Christ follower, if we have given our life in baptism, Father, I pray that today will be a fresh wind. Holy Spirit, that you will come and, and, and show us those areas in our life that we need to be improving on. Maybe, maybe we are really, really good at not being fearful, but maybe we struggle a little bit with gentleness. Or maybe we're really great at, at goodness, but, but we struggle with being joyful. Father, let us see those areas we need to prove and be about our Father's business. Lord, your word says we are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors. Lord, let us realize that every person we come in contact with in this building and way more importantly, outside of this building is looking at us for hope. Are we showing it to them? We love you, Lord. We thank you for today. In Christ's holy name, amen. Thank you, church.